0: Welcome to another inspirational message by Pastor Ron Hammonds, Senior Pastor at Golden Triangle Church on the Rock in Beaumont, Texas. For more information about Church on the Rock and Ron Hammonds Ministries, visit cotr.com. Well, it's Mother's Day, huh? Happy Mother's Day. Wow, happy Mother's Day. Turn in your Bibles if you would like to get ahead, or you can follow uh, on the overhead if you like. We're going to be going to Acts chapter 1. I can't get away from the book of Acts. We're doing a study on Wednesday evenings in the book of Acts, and I'm enjoying it. We've been in this study for a few weeks, and we're already up to verse number 5. And, uh, you know, and so, uh, today we're going to be skipping a few verses because it's mother's day and I have some verses that I want to share, but, uh, let me set us up for today and what's going on as we get to the books of book, book of acts concerning mother's day. Okay. This is right after the resurrection of Jesus. A man named Luke wrote two books in the Bible. He wrote the book of Luke and he wrote the book of acts. Luke wrote the book of Luke as a first letter to a man named Theophilus. The book of Luke, the gospel of Luke, is written about all that Jesus did while he was living on planet earth in his, in his earthly life and ministry before he was resurrected and before he was uh, ascended into heaven, Okay. So that's what the first letter, the gospel of Luke, from the birth of Jesus all the way to the ascension. Then Luke wrote a second letter, which is called the book of Acts. That tells us all the things that Jesus continued to do after he went to heaven as he was working through other people, the disciples and other born again believers through the power of the Holy Spirit. And that takes the book of Acts. So these two letters were written and they are connected in the last chapter of Luke and the last and, and, and the first chapter of Acts. You can pretty much lay those on top of one another and then Acts strikes off into all the things the Holy Spirit is empowering men and women to do because of all that Jesus did through the death, burial and resurrection And became king and savior, and has the keys of death and hell, and all power was given unto him. Well, between the time that Jesus was resurrected from the grave, between the time that Jesus walked out of that tomb, and the time that he went up in the clouds, okay, was 40 days. And the Bible says he spent those 40 days teaching his disciples and teaching a group of followers. Things pertaining to his kingdom. He wanted them to know how to get this kingdom started. They wanted to know, are you going to set your kingdom up on the earth? I mean, are we going to have soldiers and are you going to wear a crown and, and you know, you're going to take over on planet earth? And he told them, no, listen, my kingdom is not coming with observation right now. That's not for right now. It's not coming like you imagine. Rather, my kingdom is going to be built on the inside of men and women, boys and girls. And I'm going to, One one day I am coming back to establish my kingdom on earth, but right now I'm establishing my kingdom in the hearts of men and women. Well, they understood that. They didn't, uh, you know, they had kind of hoped that they were going to be a part right now of changing the whole world. Jesus had a different idea. He wanted to change it from the inside out first. During that 40 days, he met with a lot of people. The Bible says he appeared to more than 500 people at one time. And when he was ready after 40 days, when he was ready to go up to heaven and to sit at the right hand of the Father, he called all of his disciples and a large group of followers up onto the Mount of Olives. The Mount of Olives is just outside the city of Jerusalem, just to the east, okay? Uh, Across the Kidron Valley, some of you have been with me to Israel and some of you are going with me uh, next March. March the 6th through the 14th, we're going to Israel, by the way. Uh, Space is limited, so, you know, uh, June the 2nd is our interest meeting and that's when we're taking our first sign-ups. But, uh, you know, I'll I'll, I'll stand you right there on the Mount of Olives and I'll show you right where Jesus went. Oh, could you imagine that? Went up in the clouds. Angels told everybody that was there. There was a group of people there. A group had been following him. They were, they, 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 they were just, you know, being taught by him. And so this group, they were standing there looking. And, and, and angels said, you know, what are you doing? Uh, specifically speaking to the disciples, you men of Galilee, why stand ye here gazing up into the heavens? You know, uh, this same Jesus, which you just saw go away, will come again in like manner. Wow. He's going to come right back down in the same way. Wow. Well, that brings us up to where we're going to start reading in the 12th verse of the first chapter of Acts. The Bible says, Then they, this group of people, then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. And when they had entered back into Jerusalem, they went up into the upper room where they were staying. Now, here are the people that, that, that came back from the Mount of Olives and went up into that upper room. Okay. Now, the idea here is they're going to go up into that upper room. And in that upper room on Mount Zion, they are going to be praying and seeking uh, you know, God. And Because Jesus has told them, wait here in Jerusalem until I send the promise of God. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And you're going to be filled and baptized with the Holy Spirit real soon. Just wait here in Jerusalem. So they go back. They go up into the upper room, and the people that are up there: Peter, James, John, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas the son of James. That represents the ten disciples. Verse fourteen: These all continued. Excuse me, the eleven disciples minus Judas. Uh, These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication. With the women. Everybody say the women. Women. After all, it is Mother's Day. With the women. They were up there in that room for a week with the women praying in one accord and supplicating. I'm not sure what supplicating is, but I'm pretty sure it has something to do with being quiet and petitioning God, okay? (laughs) They were praying and supplicating. Yeah, it should have said (laughs) supplicating. With the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus. There's where we're going to jump into our mothers in just a moment, okay? Mary was in that upper room. Can you imagine Mary in that upper room? Do y'all know Mary was there on the day of Pentecost? Isn't that amazing? Mary, the mother of Jesus. Well, and as well with his Brothers, brothers wait a second. Do you mean biological brothers? Yep, I do. Half brothers of Jesus. They were there. Okay. These are the half brothers of Jesus. These are the sons of Mary as, as, um, I, I, you know, Hey, it just happens. And <laughs> Joseph, presumably, Okay, <Hey. laughs> what can I say? I don't know. Scripture doesn't tell us. But these were his brothers, okay? These are the biological brothers of Jesus. What? What? Brothers? Yes, brothers. You know, this this passage gives me a few questions. One of the questions is, you know, since his brothers really disliked him so much, if you've ever read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you find out that Jesus' brothers did not like him. In Mark, the third chapter, I mean, they even went down to Capernaum and tried to get him to come out so his brothers could take him home. Why? Because they thought he was a lunatic. The Bible says, hey, uh, your friends are outside. They want to take you home. Your near kinsmen are outside. You know, your family's outside. Your mother and your brothers are outside. And your sisters, they want to take you home because they believe that you are beside yourself. Jesus didn't go out. Why? Because his brothers was going to hold him down and drag him home. Feed him some soup until he got better. I don't know what the deal was. This brother of ours thinks he's somebody. I mean, he thinks he can walk on water. We got to help him before he drowns. Whatever they thought about him, they didn't care for him. In John, the seventh chapter, the Bible says they didn't even believe that Jesus, you know, was the son of God. That's his brothers. And they teased him all the time. Read in John, the seventh chapter, they, they, they were making fun of Jesus to his face. They were saying, oh, come on, go on up, go on up to Jerusalem to the feast. We know you're full of pride. We know that, you know, you want to, you, you, you want to be somebody. You want everybody to think you're somebody. Go on, go on, go on. They were just making fun of him. What are they doing now, having not believed having made fun of him, having thought he was a lunatic, having imagined that he was beside himself, then wanting to take him home and quiet him down, what are they now doing in this upper room waiting and getting ready for the power of Pentecost? What were the brothers of Jesus doing in this upper room? Why were they there? Well, the only thing I can come up with is evidently people change. Hello? Hello. Evidently people change when they are confronted with a resurrected Jesus. Because before he was resurrected, no one imagined who he was. Even his own disciples didn't realize he was going to be raised from the dead. But after the resurrection, I'm talking about even his brothers who thought he was a lunatic, who thought he was crazy, who wanted to take him home, who made fun of him, and didn't believe that he was anybody special. Now they are praying and supplicating in an upper room for a week, waiting on the promise of the Father, and they are going to be there on the day of Pentecost to receive. The power of the Holy Ghost sent by their big brother. Whoa, something changed in their life. Don't ever think that there's anybody in the world that cannot be changed when they come face to face with a resurrected Jesus, with a power of someone who has the victory over sin, death, hell, and the grave. These were the closest people. Jesus said, a prophet has no honor uh, among his own family, but all of a sudden here, they are calling him Lord. They are calling him Master. They are calling him Redeemer. They are calling him Savior. And here they are in the upper room waiting be filled with the power that same power that raised him from the dead they want what he's got people change don't stop praying don't get crossways don't put anybody in a category of they'll never change what people need is a face to face encounter with Jesus Christ Jesus changes lives Another question I have, verse 14, who were these other women present and praying in that upper room? Who were these other women? You know, the Bible just kind of lumps them in a group. I mean, it, it doesn't tell us everything all at once in one place. The Bible says that, you know, it's the glory of God to conceal the matter, but it's the glory of kings to search it out. You know, we need to search things out sometimes and read and study to show ourselves a proof. But, but I wonder, I mean, when you read the Bible, do you wonder things? I wondered, I wondered, who are these other women? Because it kind of just, you know, just, just, you know paints over them really quickly. Well... We may not can know for sure to put the stamp of, of, of absolute truth upon it, but there are reasons to believe that some women were there that we find in other places in the Scripture. You know, when Jesus was doing miracles in Mark chapter 6, some people didn't like it. They thought, he was raised up among us. He's one of us. What is he doing trying to look special? And in Mark chapter 6, some people even said this. They said, Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended. Hold on a second. Sisters? Yep. Jesus didn't just have brothers, Jesus had sisters. And, you know, it stands to reason that if mama and the brothers are in the upper room, the sisters are probably there too. Don't you reckon? Yeah, I mean, that's not a huge jump. It's not a huge jump to imagine that, that when Jesus came after his resurrection and began to appear to people, people he wanted to, to see saved, people he wanted to, them to believe in him, it's reasonable that he appeared to his brothers. It's reasonable that he appeared to his sisters. It's reasonable that he appeared to his mother. It's reasonable that he appeared to his disciples, to his friends, that those that were close to him. So there's every reason to imagine that if the brothers were there, the sisters may have been as well. And not only that, but also the wives of the brothers were probably there. Oh, Jesus' brothers were married? Well, don't you imagine they were married? How about the wives of the apostles? I don't want to start, you know, busting your bubble depending on what uh, churches you may have come from, but yeah, the apostles had wives too. And, you know, I mean, uh, the Bible says, uh, you know, when Paul was writing here to the church at Corinth, by the way, this is a really interesting chapter, chapter 9, because the Apostle Paul is writing to the church at Corinth and and he was trying to just tell them, "Look, look, you know, me and Barnabas, we're no different than other people. Don't we have a right to take along a believing wife? Don't we have a right? You see, whenever Paul and Barnabas went out on a missionary trip, you know, the churches had to pay for them to eat and lodge. Just earlier than this, Paul had just said, listen, we have a right to stay in your houses. I mean, I'm, and this is his defense of, of his ministry, okay? We have a right to stay in your houses. I mean, why? You know, we're bringing you the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are, we, we are bringing you, you know eternal life. Come on, at least give us a place to stay and at least give us some food. That's what he's saying. He said, and as well, don't we have a right to, to bring a believing wife with us if we want to? You know, when you go on a missionary trip, you know, he's saying it's okay to take your wife. I know it costs a little bit more, but it's okay to take your wife. That's what he's saying. Now, that's not what I'm preaching on, but that's what he's saying. Yeah, I know it costs you a little extra. That's one of the reasons. The scripture one of the reasons whenever we invite a a, a visiting preacher to come and preach, we always say, won't you bring your wife with you? Why? Because you have a right to. Okay, she's not going to eat that much, surely. Most of the time, they sleep in the same bed. What's the problem? Don't we have a right to take along a believing wife with us, as do also the other apostles? Hold on a second. The other apostles, yeah. James and John and Bartholomew and Nathaniel and Thomas yeah, oh, oh, yeah, you didn't think they was married. Yeah just listen this gives us every reason to imagine that the other apostles had wives And they took them along with them on their journeys believing wives wives that helped and wives that supported Yeah, why not? As well as the brothers of the Lord Jesus. That's where I got that Jesus Jesus had some sister-in-laws Hello, this is good stuff. You can't just get this everywhere. You won't, they won't teach you this Bible college, by the way, because it can be considered heresy. But <laughs> just depending on what Bible college you go to. <laughs> Jesus had brothers and his brothers had wives and Cephas, that's Peter, okay? Peter was married. If you're, Peter was married before Jesus ever called him. Read the story, you know? Jesus was asked to come and heal Peter's mother-in-law. How do you get a mother-in-law first? You need a wife. The first pope of the Catholic Church was married. Don't excommunicate me here. It's just simple. Who were those other women? It's reasonable to imagine that these other women were women who followed Jesus, who were close to Jesus, who loved Jesus, who gave him, you know, their life. Believing wives, the wives of the apostles. Peter's wife was, 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 was probably there. Why not? Why would she have not been there? You know, uh, uh, his sisters, why wouldn't they have not been in Jerusalem for this great feast of Shavuot? Why in the world would they have not been there with their families? Why would they not have followed Jesus out to the Mount of Olives as he was gathering people, as he was going to ascend up into heaven? Why would they not have gone back into the upper room? Why would also, Mary Magdalene was probably there. She had given her life to Jesus. He cast seven devils out of her. I mean, most likely, Mary was there. Mary, Mac- and Salome was probably there. And Mary, the mother of James, most likely she was there. They followed Jesus everywhere. And, 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 uh, and uh, you know, um, uh, Joanna was probably there. Who in the world is she? She was a rich lady. And also her friend, Susan, you can read about them. They are the people, the ladies that followed Jesus everywhere he went and paid his bills. Yeah. Most likely there were a lot of women there. That's who those other women were. They were there in the upper room, these 11 disciples with these other women and the mother of Jesus and his brothers. Well, what happened to Mary? That's a question that some have. What happened to Mary after the crucifixion, because we only hear of her one more time throughout the rest of the Bible. What, what happened to Mary? What happened? I mean, you know, she's so, so, so much apart. She's there, you know, at, at, at Luke, the first chapter, and, and, you know, received the angel's visitation and, and received the Christ child and, and then went to Bethlehem and, and, and paid such a price, you know, to, to there, uh, no room for them in the inn. And then the crucifixion. What happened to Mary after that? The only time she's mentioned again in the Bible is right here. And I believe this is enough for us to know exactly what happened to her. What happened to Mary, the mother of Jesus, after the cross? Well, the answer is Mary, the mother of Jesus, was in one accord in the upper room, continuing in prayer and supplication with the disciples and with her family and her friends as they waited on the promise of Almighty God and then on the day of Pentecost, Whenever God sent the Holy Spirit, there came the sound of a rushing mighty wind. And the Bible says that people saw like cloven tongues of fire the Holy Spirit sat upon each one of them including Mary, including the other women, including the brothers of Jesus. There that Holy Spirit baptized them with the power to be a witness. Mary along with the brothers of Jesus, with the other women, they began to speak in tongues and they went out of that upper room. Mary right there with them going out into the streets and became a powerful witness to all the wonderful works of God and there bringing birth to the church saw 3,000 people come to Christ that day just because these people had been there waiting on the power of the Holy Spirit. Mary was right there. The mother of Jesus. Wow. Wow. She was with Jesus. She was with him from conception to the crucifixion. She was with him from the resurrection to the ascension. She was on the Mount of Olives that day. She went back to the upper room. She was with him not only in all that he did in the streets of Jerusalem through the power of the Holy Spirit, but also for the rest of her life as a powerful witness for Jesus. And there's no doubt in my mind she will also be with him when he comes again. Burst that eastern clouds and comes again in like manner. No doubt his mother will be right there. Why? Because that's what a mother does. Okay? You know, whenever he said, listen mom, it's not my time. He, she wanted him to turn some water into wine. No, mom, no, mom, it's not my time. She went. <laughs> and he did it. Whenever at 12 years old, he, he stayed behind in Jerusalem to talk with the priest and, and, you know, and, and the scholars. And after three days, she and Joseph found him there in the temple. Joseph is not the one that spoke up. She was. The Bible says he went back home and became subject unto his mama. Of course he did. She's going to be right there coming in the clouds with him. Because that's what mamas do. Mamas are with their babies from birth to eternity. Every woman who has children must understand something that is probably not often realized. You see, Mary was chosen by God to have a child. And Mary was wise enough to understand that she was having her child for someone else. Every woman who has children has them for someone else. And I'm not talking about the man that got them pregnant. God gives children to women. And in case you haven't noticed, only to women. Hello? God gives children to women and he only gives them to women. A mother's life is dedicated to raising the children that God gives her. A wise mother realizes that she is raising her children for somebody else. Listen to me, moms. You see... God gives children. The Bible pattern is very simple. God gives children to married women. He gives children to unmarried women. He gives children to young women, to old women, to women who want them and to women who don't. Hello? Have you all noticed that in the Bible pattern? God gives children to women who cannot have them. And God gives children to women who don't imagine they ever wanted to have them. God gives every child to a woman. And God only gives children to women. But who gives that child a mother? God can give a woman a child, but He can't give a child a mother. You see, mothers are not born a mother because they're female. A woman does not become a mother because she gives birth to a child. Motherhood is chosen. Motherhood is a choice. Being a mother is a choice every day. To mother those children, to love, guide, guard, and grow those whom God gives. A woman carries, a woman adopts, raises, guards, guides, grows a child and she does not do it for her own benefit. Or if she does, she does not realize her calling. It would be unrealistic to imagine that your child belongs solely to you. You're raising a child for somebody else. First for God. Because it is the will of God and the plan of God. That is the way that God has decided to build His family and populate the earth and and, and populate eternity. God has decided that He would give children to women and He gave women a challenge to mother that child for Him. Biological mothers, mothers mothers-in-law, adoptive mothers, foster mothers, spiritual mothers. Mothers come in all kinds and sorts. But every mother carries her child for someone else, first for God. Mothers raise their children for God. Mothers also raise their children for marriage. May God help the child whose mother did not raise them to be married. May God help the child whose mother did not raise them to raise family because mothers raise their children for family. Mothers raise their children for community. Mothers who only raise their children for themselves are selfish and and, and, and have completely missed what motherhood is about. If you have this huge need and streak running through you to to imagine that that, that what you have is yours and it just needs to benefit you, then get a dog. (laughs) But if you have a child, you're raising that child for somebody else. You're raising them for a spouse. You're raising them for another child. You're raising them for a community. You're raising them for life. Every child was born of a woman, but sadly, not every child has a mother. When God wants something done, look in the Bible, read it. Read it from cover to cover. When God wants something done, he looks around for a mother. He finds a mother. You can see it all throughout the biblical pattern. God looks for a mother. That's what he did when when he wanted his son Jesus to be born into the earth. He looked around for a mother, and having found one, he said through his angel Gabriel, you are highly favored. You have been chosen to be the mother of the Son of God. What a choosing But she was not raising Jesus for herself. When God wants something done, He looks for a mother, from Eve to Sarah to Leah to Joshebed, Moses' mother to Tamar to Rahab, Deborah, Hannah. Deborah mothered all of Israel. To Mary the mother of Jesus, to Eunice and Lois, mother and grandmother to Timothy and some of you. You see, God has some unfinished business on planet earth. God has some unfinished business and He wants to give you another child. That's His way. That's His pattern. That's what he's willing to do. Without respect to the age and stage of life you're in, without respect to your economic strength or, or, or your physical agility, God wants you to help him raise a generation, to know him and to raise them for their families and to raise them for their community and to raise them for life. God needs you. Mothers, we need you more than ever before in the history of the world. We need mothers and fathers. Father's Day comes a little later. But moms, it's your day today, and God is willing to give you a child. God is willing to give you. In fact, he needs to give you another child. You might say, how can this be? Yeah, that's what Mary said. Seeing I'm only basically, I mean, we, we, we imagine her to be 14, 15, 16 years old. You know, she's a virgin, never, never been with a man. How can this thing be? I mean, look at yourself. You can say, how in the world could God give me a baby? I mean, how in the world could God give me a child? Listen, it can happen. You might say, how in the world could I become or how could I continue to be a mother? Well, you can be a mother in this house. You can be a mother in this house by helping to teach the children. They're upstairs right now. Did you see how many children we have in here? Yeah. Wonderful. Every one of them born of a woman, but I would dare say that not every one of them has a mother. On Wednesday nights, we fill this place up with Children. Next door, we we absolutely just bring, I mean so many, and, and most of them are not being raised for community, for family, for a spouse. God needs someone to speak into life. You can be a mother in this house. You can help with VBS. You can help with, with, you know, I mean, come on now. Just, I mean, sure, it's work. Sure, it's hardship. Sure, it'll take energy. Sure, it'll take time. Yes, but do you know that there is a gift resident on the inside of you, mom? Even if you've never birthed a biological child, there is a gift on the inside of you. And we desperately need mothers in the house of God today. In our community, you could be a neighborhood mother. Lisa Carson, who comes to church here. I don't know if Lisa is here today. She's doing puppets. She's up there being a mother. Do you know what Lisa Carson does? She is one of the most neighborly mothers... That I know anywhere. Do you know that she goes to neighbors and friends' house? Not spooky, not creepy. She goes over there and is nice and friendly. And she brings neighborhood children to church. Not just once. She brings them many times for years. Just to be a good, godly, motherly influence in their lives. It makes a difference. Ruby Boudreaux. Ruby Boudreaux is one of the greatest mothers that I know. She has raised countless numbers of children for mothers who must work outside the home on a daily basis. There's no telling how many dozens, hundreds upon hundreds of children that you have nurtured, Ruby, and that you have raised for somebody else. You can reach out. Luke and Belinda, we just saw them this past week, you know, introduce their new family. Uh, they, they've adopted three more children. But, you know, it's not to satisfy them. They are doing it because of these children, because the children need to be raised, and they need to be raised for somebody else. First for God. Because God wants every child to have a mother that loves and cares and guides and guards, protects and grows. You have to guard your children. You have to protect them. You have to watch after them. Ultimately, they belong to God. But God chose not to do it without a mother. One of the greatest callings in the Bible is to take care of the widows and the orphans. Well, you can look for someone who needs the encouragement of a mother in your neighborhood, in your workplace. God has granted so many golden opportunities for us without respect to the age and stage of life. There's a gift on the inside of you and there's no reason to imagine that you ever have to stop being a mother. You never do. You never will and you never should. You see, God still needs some things done on planet Earth. There's some unfinished business, and he wants to give you a child. What will you say? You may say, how can it be? But here's what I hope you would say. I hope you would say what Mary said. Lord, be it unto me according to your word, according to your will. Have your will in my life. Is there someone in my neighborhood, someone in my community? Is there someone in my workplace, some young man or some young woman that just needs a little motherly care and nurture and tender encouragement, correction, instruction? Is there someone that I could take under my wing, Lord? As a hen would gather her little chickens and help to guide and guard and protect them. Is there someone that I could love for you? Is there someone that I could help raise for their family, for their future? Is there someone I could be their mother? Be it unto you. According to God's will. Let God be God. And for goodness sake, use the gift He's given you. You don't have to stop being a mother.